Pokotov. Um, so today's stop is Yudalif. Thank you, Tov, for covering. And we pick up about, uh, what is it, 18 lines down or so. Um, and we're in the middle of these psichas. Rava Pasach. The line starts with the word Hashem. Shahayalanu Bekum Aleinu Adam. Adam Belo Melech. Rava Pasach. Now, if anybody has learned Midrash Rabbah, you know, yeah, you know that Midrash Rabbah starts mm-hmm. often with a psicha. Like, often starts this way. Quotes a pasuk from elsewhere. Now, Midrash Rabbah is going on Pesukim in the Torah, so it often quotes a Pesuk from Nach, often a Pesuk that you've never heard of before, and manages to find a way to, like, weave in an obscure Pesuk and say that this really relates to the story, you know, find a way to sort of connect it to the story in the Torah. So here, you're dealing with a similar type of a mode, a psicha, but this is like Midrashim and Megillah Esther, as we see, you know, what the Gemara's been doing is it basically starts from the beginning of the Megillah by Hibi Rosh, and it just goes of like going psukim by psukim, essentially what the is doing, you know, and it's a very strange phenomenon. It's like with no preamble, it's basically giving us like the Midrash Rabbah on Esther. Psukim by Psukim and giving us like Amoraic Midrashim around it. Um, and it's actually relating to the fact that there would be this, you know, mode of Psicha. That when you open learning Esther, you quote some Pusik from somewhere else and then you find a way, you know, to tie it in. So this was like the classic mode of beginning with um, Midrashim on a Sefer. So number one, it's important to just be aware of that. You know, it's, that's sort of like the genre that we're dealing with. Of course, the other point that I'll make, which I've been saying a lot, is that, and again, I don't claim this is, as I just said, distinctive for Megillah, this is very standard, um, but the, what, what you achieve by a psicha is you sort of create this sense of, you know, of the, the unification of all of the biblical texts, of all of Tanakh. So certainly it works like the later Pasuk in the Nevi'im is referring back to this, like, you know, story in the Torah, like it's all interconnected. Um, now, it's one thing, of course, to be starting with the Torah and doing the Pasuk from Nach. Um, you know, okay, it's interconnected, but the other text came later, so it's not such a Chiddush, you know, whatever, to say later Pesukim are alluding back, like, you know, to this story. But nevertheless, it communicates that sense that it's all sort of, it's all one big interconnected text. But again, there's a particular power, as I've been saying, by starting from Pesukim and Esther, which is at the very end of Tanakh, and relating it back to earlier Pesukim, especially since so many of the Pesukim are biblical Pesukim, you know, again, to create that sense of it being a integral part of Tanakh even this very later book is already foreshadowed the ideas of it are already being earlier told in these earlier psukim in the Torah so that's certainly one of the things that gets communicated through this mode of this psicha so let's take a look where we pick up with Rava Rava pasach lapitcha lahapirshasa Rava opened up the pitcha the beginning of this part of Megillah Mehacha from the following verse the Rabot Tzadikim Yismach Ha'am with the increase of the righteous, um, the, the, um, the nation will rejoice, and with the, uh, the um, you know, dominion of the wicked, the people will moan. When things were good for them, the entire city of Shushan was uh, joyous and, uh, and, um, and rejoicing. And when the wicked is, uh, you know, has dominion, the people will moan. And the, and the, and the city of Shushan was uh, bewildered, was distraught. Rav Masna Rav Masna would open from the following passage. 
which is an interesting pasuk, you know, because that pasuk sort of re- reflects an idea like of the sense of confidence. God is always with us, with us whenever we call out to Him. Of course, you know, the story of Purim was the sense that God uh, was not close. First of all, God's, God's name isn't even there. And, you know, there's this sense of imminent danger, and it's only at the very last minute that things get reversed. But okay, like when you look at it in hindsight, you can say, Behold, Karen, way long at the time, maybe. That wasn't necessarily the, the feeling. But at the end, even the story of Purim is, look, even in a time when God feels absent, we called out to God and God was there for us. Um, has God ever done this tremendous thing? Again, quite fascinating, taking a verse from Yitziat Mitzrayim where it's about Nes Goloi and God's presence is so evident to all and so showing, you know, here too, you know, ultimately, even though here was a period of like Hester upon him, in the end, this is also what happened, you know, the same type of a thing. So even at the time when it seems like it wasn't going to happen, it happened. One also wonders if there's a hint to the idea of because the whole message of Purim was the degree of assimilation you know and the people were like uh, you know they were they, they, it was uh, you know there's the Midrashim about how the people would totally have been lost it was only because of HaChashverosh and the fact that he was oppressing them which ultimately led to them to crystallize you know their like identity otherwise they would have completely assimilated so um, you know so there's that sense of Lavola Kachaslo Goy Mikarev Goy that they're uh, re sort of separated out you know and um, get once again their distinctiveness in that process uh, of the Megillah did you want to say something though? Okay. So, um, so that is the end of the psichas. So now, and now, uh, oh, I think I, so now that we end with like how you would introduce it, the psukim you would sort of tie it into from elsewhere in Tanakh, now we're going, it's really a midrash rabba is what we have here. Now we're going to get to a pasuk by pasuk analysis of the Megillah. Um, and it was in the time of Machashverim. So, Amarav, Vai Vahi. So, va-yihi, va is woe and, bo- and moaning, bimeachashverosh, in the time of achashverosh. Hadar dechsiv, and this is what's meant by the verse, so this is the fulfillment of the verse, You'll be sold to your enemies and nobody will want to purchase you. Now, where does Ra, where does Ra see the fulfillment of that verse? I mean, clearly there's woe and moaning. Well, right, so hold on. So clearly there's, you know, the, 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 the edict against them, but why specifically that verse? So Rashi says, um, where's Rashi? Um, like the, the right hand column people said you can't buy a Jewish slave so you know now I don't know why it's a bad thing or whatever maybe but they get if they had no money and they were starving to get and they needed to sell themselves they know what you buy but I actually thought that it was referring to a different point I actually thought that it was a fact that Haman wanted well not uh, well um, Michael says correctly you know Esther says um, what did she say um had we been sold so had we been sold but we hadn't been sold why not because they can maybe but it's certainly evoking that and I also thought that it was that it was alluding to the verse of what do you call it of uh, that Haman wants to give the money and Achashver says I don't want to take the money so here it is they want to, he wants to buy them now not but to kill them and he refuses to even take the money. So anyway, certainly there are some echoes of this in the Megillah. Bishmul Amar, Lom Yasim Velo Giatim Lechalasam, 
Roma Astin Bimeivanim, so actually, as opposed to starting with the vai vayihi, the woe, woe and moaning, he starts with a more positive sense about like, even at this terrible time, it's not, you know, it, it, it's not the end. God never gives up on us. Roma Astin Bimeivanim, I did not despise them at the time of the Greeks, time of, uh, of the story of, Pur- of uh, Hanukkah. It looked like they were being abandoned, but in the end, you know, in the end there was the victory. The time looked like the base of Egypt was destroyed, but in the end they were not forgotten. Um, to destroy them, it looked like they would be completely wiped out in, in the time of Haman, but that didn't happen either. To abandon my covenant with them, in the time of the Persians does not give not exactly clear exactly what specific uh, event that that is referring to I am Hashem their God you may go gumagog so until then I haven't abandoned them I won't let them be totally destroyed wiped out uh, the religion destroyed but ultimately the revelation of that you know sort of seeing, seeing the full expression of being their God that will come in the messianic period of time of gogumagog yes uh, Spencer says that the reference in the Merulukan star is actually a censoring that's originally a fable. Robayim? It's actually what originally? Vespasian. Vespasian. Oh, yeah. we made Parsim as Vespasian? Right, 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 right. It's interesting because we're going to see Parsim later, which clearly it also refers no, to no, a no, Roman no, story. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar was originally Vespasian. Yeah. That's interesting. Um that's interesting uh-huh he says it's to avoid attending the Roman does he say what Bimei Parsim is though uh, he says it's Persian, Pars- Persian yeah but does he have anything specifically about what, what, what in the Persian period uh, no no okay because we, later we're going to see a Persian which I think actually means Roman now, <coughs> I was wondering about the gear so you'll tell me about it when we get to it yeah, okay. okay in the time of the Kazdeans so here's where God has come you know to sort of save us through the uh, leaders that came at that time so Daniel Hanan and Michelle Vazaria they came and they did not you know they sort of stood up for God and uh, and uh, and for the religion and they did not you know Hanan and Michelle Vazaria let themselves be thrust into the fire and and not a time of Greeks where the you know the Seleucid Greeks right where Shimon HaTzadik the uh, sort of leader of the time the Chashmonai Vanav Umatatiyahu Kohen Gadol right and the Chashmonaim and the um, and, and the uh, and, and those religious leaders I did not let them be destroyed at the time of Haman. Okay, clearly. To abandon my covenant with them, be made Parsiim in the time of the Persians. That I stood, that I, that I, uh, that I, you know, may come, rise up for them, the house of Rebbe and the sages of the generations. Now, the problem is that that is not the time of the Persians. So, here's where I clearly think the original Gersa must be the Romans. That is exactly so, that's what science out said. Yeah, thank you. Okay. So, yeah, correct. The principle is the Brighta. So, Okay. So, who's the Hashmonaim? It's not. What? I guess all the Hashmonaim. I mean, um. Yeah. It's true. Hashmonai Ubanav. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know why it's framed that way. Okay. In the future, in the end, they will be. You know, not only will I not prevent them from being destroyed, but ultimately, I, you know, they will be truly 
seen as my nation, that nobody else will ever have dominion over them. They won't be subjugated under other nations. Okay, so beginning the story of Purim, this is a little bit no longer, it's a little, sounds to me, it's a little doubling back. We're no longer on the Vayihibi Mechashverosh, darshaning the opening Psukim. We're going back to like a Pticha and showing about, you know, it's sort of like the Vihisha Amdalavo Seinu Valanu, that, you know, that we've, uh, that there have always been these periods in history when it looked like things were very bleak, and in the end, uh, you know, sort of like what Mordechai says to Esther, in the end, ultimately, God will come to save us. Okay, Rabbi Levi Amar Mehacha, in again, sounding like we're going back, and Rashi even says, by the way, Rashi when it says, Vishmul Amar Mehacha, if you look at Rashi at the end of the right hand column, So we're going back, it's a little funny, we're doubling back, because it sounded like, again, we were starting to finally look at the Psukim themselves, but now we're again doubling back and talking about introductory Psukim that would open up the Midrashim on the Megillah. So one was this team. Rabbi Lieber says, If you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, and they will be Now what does that have to do with anything? So Rashi says, Because ultimately this is all a continuation of the Amalek story, and that has to do with the war of Amalek in the land of Canaan, in the land of Israel. So ultimately this is an end of, of that story, and of what happened because they were God, he did not follow God's command. Okay, he would open up the pit, the pitcha. Again, we're back to pitchas. We're not darkening. We're, we've abandoned the uh, the psukim of the Megillah. I mean, the actual substance. You know, the psukim themselves was talking about how you would open from a different pasuk and tie in the Megillah as seen as part of this larger theme. It's a rhetorical device too. It suggests that this was an oral drusha, so people would be sitting and wondering. Hmm, Get right, that's a good point as well. Meaning, not only I was talking about how it has the effect of making everything interconnected, um, and particularly by the Megillah, making the Megillah part of a much larger sort of, you know, uh, you know, anchoring it much more earlier into biblical history and into this whole sort of like, you know, um, religious, you know, this, this 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 greater religious historical arc. But what Dove says is also correct. When you open from a bizarre pasuk, you're like interested, engaged. Like, what does that have to do? with anything and then you sort of see how it gets tied in Rabbi Chia Amar this is in general like I said if you begin open up a Midrash Rabbah at the beginning of a Parsha you're like oh, like uh, Balak I want to see what the Midrash says on Balak and you open up at the beginning and you have quote some Puskin Mishle you've never heard of <laughs> and it takes you like a few paragraphs till you finally get to talking about Balak you know but this is how they would do it they would open up from some other Pasuk and then tie it in that's an example Midrash yes. Right. Um, but wouldn't you think that the God's history on both <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, we're going to get a little bit, if we get to it today, also the whole idea of, you know, of which is also positive, but a non-Jew, right, where God sort of says, you know, you know, you know, Koresh, you know, my anointed one, Koresh, you know, who will rebuild the base, you know, who sort of gives permission. So there he's a non-Jew, but he's still called God's anointed one. Um, the issue of, 
you know, of it all being part of God's plan, but then also the issue of accountability, you know, is a tricky one, right? Because if God, like, um, you know, the question that uh, all of the Mepharshim um, asked about, uh, about um, the, um, uh, the Egyptians, like if it's part of the whole thing, uh, you know, how could you punish the Egyptians if they're just fulfilling, you know, God's plan? So, you know, there are different answers to that. I mean, the, the um, most, uh, sort of, maybe the, the, the most common one is just because God says it's going to happen, and even if God says the Egyptians are going to do it, doesn't mean that you, you, this particular Egyptian, you have to stand up and volunteer. So, you know, but somehow it's a way of reconciling the fact of, yes, there could be a divine plan and there could also be free choice. You know, and somehow there's room for you as an individual private citizen Egyptian. Again, I don't know how there's room for Paro. But anyway, to make your personal free choice and that doesn't have to, you know, necessarily, that isn't necessarily predictated, preordained because of God's divine plan. So I assume that the reason here that it's avoiding sort of saying God sent them is that even though that's not being denied, ultimately it's all part of God's plan, the more you emphasize that, the more it gets them off the hook for the bad deeds that they've done, you know, or it sort of problematizes that issue. But I think, you you know, it's definitely a very good point that it sort of makes it sound like this is just like a random event in history, and then God intervenes by sending the Yeshua. Um, But that clearly is anyway, I mean, isn't that like the whole biblical message, right? The Egyptians subjugate and God sends Moshe, you know, this thing happens and then God sends, right? Balak sends for, we're talking about Balak and those, you know, Balak sends for Bilaam and then God, you know, intervenes. Like, so, God's intervention is coming to save the day, not sort of in terms of all the, like, in Egypt, God hardens Right, and in Egypt, and that's why they all raise the question in Egypt, well, how is God hardening the earth and how are you punishing the Egyptians? Right. But I think what David is saying, it's true, Egypt is like the exception where it shows God being involved in, you know, in, in, the, in the negative. And in the end, that has to be dealt with. But I think the more you make that point explicit, the more you problematize, so why are they deserving of punishment? So I think that that's why it's often not, not made as explicit. I think it's very difficult. It goes the other way, too. The entire book of Shoftin is the Israelite sin. Right. God sends the right. against them in the form of another. Right. And then sends a savior. And then that other nation is punished. Right. It's a good point, but I think in those stories you're not focused on the on the punishment of the other nations. No, but I no, I understand. But like when you talk about the Egyptians, the Persians, the Babylonians, whatever, you want to get a feeling like they're going to get paid back for all this bad stuff that they've done. Whereas it's a good point, but I think in a way it fits because in those stories, in um, you know, in um, in Shoftim, like. We're not focused on the punishment That's that these people get. The Cuba of the people, and this was from God, and they got their punishment here. It's like these are big nations that loom large, right. and we want to be told that, that it's not just God is hitting us, but that they did evil and they're going to be punished. And you do get that other side, I think, in Yeshaya and Amos and Hosea and all right. In other words, the other nations then get paid back. Right, right. But I think it's a good point, but again, I think that that's not denied, but that the more you make it explicit, then the more it raises the question of why are they deserving of punishment. I'm sorry. Okay, yes. I think it's interesting how our text picks up on the word Yimei Atashverot. Right. And then it talks about Yimei Ayyavanim. Oh, I see. Yimei, Yimei. So it is still darkening the first Pesukim. And it's really talking about Epoxid history. Uh-huh. And I think that makes it feel more that there is this human history that's going on 
and God steps in or doesn't step in at certain points in time to mm. say the Jewish people. It, 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 feels, it feels different than um, the other nations being mobilized to, to do God's will. Aha. At least in the Okay, I like that point. And the other point, and again, to bring that out, what you're also making, the point you're making is that as opposed to just seeing this as a new p'ticha, in a way, it is getting to darshaning the pasuk of yimei. What he's actually saying is that there are yimei. There are periods in history where God intervenes. There was this period where God intervened this way and other yimei, other periods where God intervened. Okay, thank you. I thought you Oh, that dominate, like Achashverosh and Parsim, right. Yes. Okay, thank you. No, it's an excellent point. It's an excellent point. So David is pointing out that the point here is not just a p'ticha, meaning I was looking at the pasuk of lo ma'astim velo gialtim, which is like a p'ticha from a separate verse. But what David is saying is that what Shmuel might be doing is focusing on the word yimei achashverosh. There have been various periods of history. There have been the period of achashverosh, the period of the Yavanim, the yimei, you know, the yimei parsim. And always God, you know, in these various periods, intervenes in these various periods of history. Thank you, that's very nice. Okay, so the Gemara says like this, um, okay, where were we? Um, okay, we did Reb Levi, we did, okay, now back to Achashverosh. Um, again, that's a more, a, 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 you know, a, 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 a more of a downer way of starting. So the first, you know, again, this again does seem at this stage to be the p'ticha. So one is, this is all because your fault because you didn't get rid of Amalek. And here it's what I wanted to do to them, I will do to you, you know, if you do not get rid of these other nations. So again, re-emphasizing that uh, you brought this upon yourself and it almost led to complete destruction okay so um, so uh, opening the psukim from our responsibility and all of this having happened now we get now we actually do leave the psukim fully behind and we get to the to the psukim to the uh, to the opening psukim of the Megillah so we did Vayihi Bimei okay now we're doing Achashverosh um, Amarav Achiv Sharosh Uben Gilo Sharosh so Achashverosh the brother of, the, of a head of a leader and the Ben Gilo like of the same you know character of the same uh, mazel of the leader what does that mean who's the Rosh Achiv Sharosh Achiv Shal Nebuchadnezzar HaRasha Shanikra Rosh the, like he's like a you know he's like a colleague he's he's, uh, he's he's just one of the same cut from the same cloth as Nebuchadnezzar Shenemar as it says by Nebuchadnezzar Antu Reisha Dida okay you are the, the the golden head right this is when there was this dream and he didn't know what it meant so it's you know so it was a statue with a gold head and that's Nebuchadnezzar okay Ben Gilosha Rosh anyway he's the Rosh who um, who so what does it mean of the same cloth cut from the same cloth as the head who Harad killed, you know, the Jews, who, wanted to kill the Jews, who, destroyed the base of Mikdash, who, wanted to destroy. Now, what does it mean, wanted to destroy? So, this is going to be the question of when do we place Achashverosh vis-a-vis the Bayez Shani. So, if you look at Rashi, three lines from the top in the left-hand column, Lahachriv, Rashi says, Yasoshi Yasad Zru Bavel Bavesa Mikdash Bimei Koresh Lifnei Achashverosh Kamo Shomer Besefer Ezra So this has Achashverosh after the original the beginning of the process of the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash the foundation has already been laid and included in Achashverosh's edict to write about the Jews presumably would be to destroy the foundation of the Beit HaMikdash okay that's something that we will get back to but according to this at least has Achashverosh once the process of the rebuilding has already been, gu- been begun <laughs> 
like Gilgul, like he's oh. future transmigration. I don't know. I didn't think, I don't know. I, I couldn't answer that. I didn't think so. I mean, literally, Gil is an age, but I think it yeah. sort of means from like, cut from the same cloth is usually what it means, or it might have more, mis- you know, metaphysical significance, like born under the same mazel type of idea. Yes? That Rashi there were, were replaced Ahasuerus as being fairly early in the Persian period. Because Koresh allowed to start building Right. Well, we're going to get we're going to get to that. We're going to so hold off. We're going to get to that whole right. Well, Rashi says be mekorish, right? Yeah. Okay, so we're going to get to that. Um, okay, back to the Gemara. Um, okay. Shenemar b'machusha chashverosh b'tchilas malchuso. So the Gemara quoting the pasuk of Ezra, kisvu sitna al yoshvei Yehuda v'Yerushalayim. They wrote a like sort of like a negative, you know, uh, edict against those that dwelt in Yehuda and Yerushalayim. And Rashi says that Sitna is a, that they were prohibited from continuing to build. So not even, or not necessarily according to this, in the context of the story of Purim. Just Stam as a political act, this is uh, locating it, even without the whole story of Haman and Purim, based on the Pasuk in Ezra, this is Ahasuerus, assuming it's the same Ahasuerus, that they stopped the rebuilding of the temple. Shmuel Amar, Shmuel says, Achash is so they are um, they are from you know playing with reversing the shin and the chet so their faces the faces of the Jews came as black as the like a bottom of a pot like you know because of the, they felt that they were about to be destroyed um, so it's not about Achashverosh it's about the impact you know about what Achashverosh has somewhat a little ties into the earlier Shmuel bad things are going to happen to you God is going to save you so it's sort of about us you know being subject to these uh, impending uh, you know periods of uh, uh, these oppression and disaster and then you know also the whole question is are we, you know a, an issue that comes up for Chazal in the story is does this motivate the people to do tshuva and then God comes and saves and so on so Shmuel is certainly focusing on the impact that this has on the people yes uh, yeah I mean I have never after after okay. Cyrus okay you know what yeah all Cyrus is the first one that we really yeah okay I've always found that can we wait to, let's wait till we turn the page we will get more to dating in a bit if we get up to it okay Anybody who mentions Achashverosh says, whoa, to their head. They get a big headache. Ach, Rosh, okay? Oy, to their head. Okay. Meaning, presumably, not just the Jews, but like that he was just a, you know, he was a bad king, or he was a foolish king, or whatever. Anyway, Rabbi Hanin Amar, Shakol Nasu Rashim Biyamav. He made everybody poor. And again, not just the Jews. So you can't raise taxes even then. It was political suicide. Um, and if you did, you got remembered forever for having made everybody, for raised everybody's taxes. Okay. Who are Rosh? Okay. So either it was very bad for the Jews, um, or he was bad for everyone. He is Achashverosh. What does it mean? Who Achashverosh? Who the Rishon Mitzvah He was unchanging. He was constant. He was wicked from be- from the beginning to the end. Um, now, now that we're saying that that's what the who means, we're going to darsh in other who's by in the Torah. Who esav aviadom? So pasuk in uh, in Breshit. So who the Rishon Mitzvah He was wicked from beginning to end. Who dasan vaviram b'nei aliyah? Right in the pasuk in Bamidbar. Came to Rishon Mitzvah and Vesopan. They were wicked from beginning to end. Um, 
who Hamelech Achaz, he is King Achaz. Who Berisha Mitzchilas of Yetzafu? He was always a wicked king. Avram, who Avraham, possibly you probably haven't heard, which is in Divrei Yomim. Who Betzimto Mitzchilas of Yetzafu? He was always righteous. Who Aaron and Moshe? Um, he is Aaron and Moshe. Hain or they Hain. This is the pasuk in Shmos. But see, Kasan Mitzchilas of Yetzafu. They were always righteous. The David, who Akatan. So he was the small one amongst the sons of Yushai. Who became Nusomi Pchilas of Yatsov? Now, what does that mean? That one needs to be explained a little. He wasn't always small. He became a king. So it means Keshem Shebekat Nuso. He tinat wants to meet Shagodobi Nena Betorah. The same way when he was, you know, just a, a youth and he wasn't king, he knew proper, he knew how to be, you know, deference and to make himself small, uh, you know, in the presence of one that was greater than him in Torah. So even when he became king, so he showed deference to those that were wiser than he. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes it has David as like, you know, as a rabbi, right? Sitting and, uh, you know, in the beginning of Brachos, Paskening, Shilas, you know, Missy Boshes, that Boshes, you know, sort of bested him in Torah. So could have said he knew how to make himself small in front of others in Torah when he became a king. But in a way, the Gemara is, I think, saying even a bigger point. It's one thing to say, okay, I'm a king. I'm not a big Talmud Chacham. I defer to somebody who's a bigger time with Chacham when it comes to a Torah area. But Chachma is like judgment, wisdom, knowledge, right? Even there, he was, which is maybe your king, you should know. Even there, he was willing to show proper deference. Um, okay, Hamoleich, so that's Huachashverosh. So we said that he's a, he was always wicked and he was a terrible king. Or he did ter- you know he was a colleague of Nebuchadnezzar. Who now? Hamolech mehodivat kush. So Hamolech. Where were we? Um, okay. Amarav shemalach meatzmo. So it's not that he was uh, you know the son of a king, but he was a self-appointed king. He rose from the commoners. Some say that this actually is a positive thing about him, and some say that it's a negative. That it's a good thing. Look, nobody else was fit to be king other than him, so he was a, he was taken from amongst the commoners. He was the most fitting to be king. Some say that it's a negative character of it, uh, characteristic. Um, that he really wasn't fit to be king. He just gave a lot of money, maybe evoking what Chazal sort of knew in terms of the whole issues around like the uh, Kohen Gadol, about people could buy, you know, buy, you know, buy their way into important positions. So maybe he was chosen not because of his qualities, but he was just chosen because he bribed his way into it. Right? You used to be able to also buy the uh, papacy. Wasn't that true? There were some Jewish popes. Oh, come on. That couldn't happen in politics. <laughs> okay. Or religion. I didn't know Jewish popes, but there were definitely uh, popes who bought the office. And there were high priests who bought the office. Well, I mentioned the high priests already. Okay. <laughs> but I, all right. Anyway. All right. Um, okay. Where were we? Okay. Uh, okay. Behodu ve'akush. So he ruled over from Hodu, from India to Ethiopia. Rav Vishmua. Chadam or Hodu Besofolam, Bakush Besofolam. They're at opposite ends of the world. The Chadam or Hodu Bakush Kabiyadori Havikaimi. That they were right next to one another. So if they're opposite ends of the world, we understand. But what's the point if they're right next to one another? To say, Kushin Shemalach al Hodu Vakush. The same way he had he he ruled over these two countries that were right next to one another. He had control over the entire world. 
So he ruled over the you know the entire civilized world. So Hodiat Kush might not mean from one end to the other. It might mean with that same degree of control. Okay, it does not seem to be shot of the puzzle. I once had a rabbi that told me they're both right because if they're opposite ends of the world, then they're right next to each other. Right, depends on which direction you're going. Okay, yes. Anyway, <laughs> there was a Kush or Kushan in English is Kushan Empire in. Uh, around what is now Afghanistan. Oh. But that was a little later than the Persian period. Interesting. But it would have been around by the time I did. Interesting. Okay. And in fact, the Hindu Kush mountain range in Afghanistan and Pakistan gets it appears to get the same Okay. So they're, they're actually both right. Okay. Very nice. But Different Kushes. Kush in Ethiopia. Though. Right. Yeah. And, it's, and Kush was applied to actually more Sudan than Ethiopia. Uh, much long earlier than uh, the Right. Okay. But how you chalet the pasuk in, where is it? In in Yirmiya? How you chalet kushi orel? When Amir Chabubarotav, right? Will a Kushai change his skin or a leopard yeah, his spot? Yeah. So presumably it does mean Ethiopia. Right. Right? So anyway, but and I. That, that makes sense. Okay, right. Kushai in Central Asia related to Okay. Um, so, okay, so the pasuk going on. Okay. Um, in a similar way, there's a debate about the following pasuk. This is by Shlomo. He had dominion over the entire um, Trans-Jordan, uh, from Tafsach to Azah. The entire, um, um, so what does that mean? Rav Tafsach so here's Gaza right in the news. So Tafsach is at one end and Gaza Aza is at the other end. Then he ruled over the entire inhabited world. They were right next to each other. The same way he had dominion over these two places which are right next to each other, he had dominion over the whole world. Okay. 127. Which is a funny drasha because it's the way the Torah normally just counts numbers. Right? Like the Yemecha Yesara, right? Right. right? So, anyway, so here, right, so there's a drasha there, but that's the, you know, Rashi, the famous drasha, 70, like 20 for faith and 20, whatever for beauty. Anyway, but that's the way the Torah quotes numbers, which the more will ask. So, anyway, he says, sorry, with seven, then he became king over 20, then he became king over 100. Elamiyata says, that's how you read it, the life of Amon was 7 and 30 and 100 years. My Darsh Debay, so what are you, what Darsh are you going to get for that? If you're going to Darsh into separation of the numbers. So no, Shani Acha the cry you say, No, here we can make the Drasha because it's a superfluous. Mikhtik sees me, Hodidiat Kush, it already calls us Hodidin Kush. The Shevadas from Yamadina Lali, why does it tell me 127? I mean, obviously, it's the whole inhabited world. So Shmaminolidrasha, it must be for Drasha. I mean not you know, it certainly makes it a little bit more graphic when you list the number, but okay, Gmar wants to make this Drasha. It's not even clear what Gmar wants to get out of this Drasha. Like what do I care, if, you know, if he worked his way up. If anything that reinforces, you know, that's always going to be the question about Ahashveros, right? Melech Tipesh or Melechacham, like do we make him foolish or do we think that he was a powerful king? So again, if you make the story that he sort of he grew grew, grew his kingdom from seven to twenty to a hundred, it makes him a powerful king. So anyway, other than that it's not clear what the focus is on that. Okay, Tanu Rabbanan. Now that we're speaking about him ruling over the whole world, we're going to extrapolate, you know, expand upon that a little bit. Move away from the Psukim for a moment. From the Psukim of the Megillah. Um, three ruled under the dome, meaning three had dominion over the entire inhabited world. The Ehuhain, these are they. 
Achav the Achashverus and Vuchanetzar. Achav Achashverus and Vuchanetzar. So, so excellent. So Tosa says, if you look at the little Tosa stuck in here on the left, the Hadu Achashiv Alexandra Mokton. Right? How about Alexander the Great? Right? Mishum Delo Ayuhach Alabosim Aksum Lahedu. I don't psuk him about Alexander the Great. So he came. Unfortunately for him, he came after the biblical period. So he did not get to be included in the list. These are only people that are in the Bible. Okay. So Achav Tchvi. Chayas Shemalokecha. This is by right Elio that stopped the uh, rain, and he says, you know, by master the king sent to every single nation in order to seek you out, and he, you know, and he made them swear. He took, he made them take an oath that they don't know where you are. If he did not have any power over these other nations, so how could he get them to take an oath about whether they saw Leo? Obviously, he was able to, you know, exert his influence over these other nations. It doesn't literally mean he ruled over them, but okay, that's the way the Gemara is understanding it. Nebuchadnezzar, so anyway, every nation has to serve him and put their neck through the yoke of the king of Bavel. like we said, hold you at Kush, bring sofa, Olam be at sofa. Okay, um, so so Mar says the two leka. So now the siman here shin samach dalad chaf. Rashi tells you what they stand for. Shlomo, Sancherev, Deyavish, Koresh. So we're going to ask, how about those other four kings? Didn't they rule over the whole world as well? So let's take a look. Are there no others? Vaikar Shlomo. How about Shlomo? Right? We just said, right? Mitapsach v'yadazah. So the Gemara says, of course, you, when you read Tanakh, you don't get a sense that Shlomo was king over the whole world, but that was the drush that the Gemara had before. He was marrying so, the daughters of all I understand, exactly. So the Gemara says, no, Lusalik Mahuse, his kingship did not, like, conclude well, because there's a famous story how he ended that he actually went a little crazy and he lost his kingship and he was a commoner. So the Gemara says, it's a story in Gittin. So the Gemara says, That's good if, according to the one that says, he started as a king and he ended as a commoner. So he didn't end his life as a king. That in the end, after he had that period of, you know, having been a commoner, he once again became king. Michael Lameimer, what can you say? So Michael says, no. So Shlomo wasn't counted, not because he wasn't, ruler over the, over the whole world, but because he was even more than ruler over the whole world. He was in a category all by himself. He also had dominion not only on the lower realms, but on the supernal realms, over the Shaden and all those other stories. The, the throne of God. So just like God, he had dominion not only over the physical lower world, but even over the metaphysical world as well. So he's in a category by himself. Okay, so the Gemara says, "Ahavei Sancherev." How about Sancherev? Tzivim mivachol olohei aratzot ha'eva asher hitzilu et atzam yadi. Who from all these other nations have saved their lands from me? So Sancherev clearly conquered the world. Gemara says, "Ha'ikir Yerushalayim blokavsha." Yeah, but the end of the story is that he doesn't conquer Judea and Jerusalem. So ha'ikar daryavesh. How about daryavesh? Tzivim daryavesh malka kasav lechol amemaya umaya v'lishnaya. Daryavesh the king wrote to all of the nations. 
nations and and tongues that live in all the lands let your peace you know much peace unto you so anyway if he's writing to all the nations presumably because they're all under his dominion so Gemara says no no he didn't have he only had 120 he didn't have 127 because the verse says it was good in, in, you know, in, in front of and he, and he put over his kingdom for the various provinces 120 doesn't say 127 so he, uh, he, was, he didn't get the entire the entire um, civilized world okay so says Koresh the king of, of, of the Persians all the kingdoms of the land God has given me he's just praising himself you can't take his word for it the other stuff the Pesukim were saying that he actually was writing to the other nations here he's just praising himself right? it's true when you look at these like Stella that they find you know from the ancient world about kings telling about their dominion right? they always describe themselves as like kings of the whole world right? you know so yeah you can't, you can't trust the, somebody's own rhetoric alright moving on back to the Pesukim what? yeah Right. It's just now that he was once the greatest. The greatest thing ever, right? Okay. So by Yamimahin, Okay. In those days, when the king of Chazir sat on his on his on his royal throne, Mixiv Basrei, Bishnas Shalosh Lemachal. In the year three, he made a Mishnah Luchos So what is it? Was he was it what? As soon as he became king, or did he wait? Or, or year three? So Amarava. So said Rabbi, my Kushevitz, what does it mean when he sat on his throne? So it means, after he became settled. Meaning he wanted to make this big feast when he started, but Kushevitz, he needed to first feel confident and wait three years, and then he made this big feast. Now, why did he have to wait three years? What was he feeling confident about? So now we're going to get to the dating of it, okay? So Omar, he said the following, Valshetzer Choshevitah. Boshetzer did the math, computed, and made a mistake. Because the whole idea is that both in Yermiel and in Daniel, it says that the ultimate, that the redemption from the first destruction will come after 70 years of exile. So the Gemara understands that these kings that came after, the Persian kings, Boshetzer and then Achashverosh or whatever, these kings um, knew these prophecies, they did the math, and that they were the reason that they sort of had the confidence that they did to, uh, as we'll see, do what they did uh, was because they figured, look, the prophecy did not come true. Okay, and as with all prophecies, it was uh, intentionally ambiguous, so they got the math wrong. All right, so let's take a look. So, Belshetzer, he did the math and he made a mistake. I'll compute and I won't make a mistake. Mighty, what's meant by this? The Kfi. Because it says in Yermio, When it's still for Bavel 70 years, then I will remember you and bring you back. When it's fulfilled for the destruction of Jerusalem, 70 years. The two prophecies about 70 years. One measuring from the destruction of Jerusalem, the other from Bavel. Not exactly clear what that means, Bavel, and whether these are the same, the same numbers or not. The same starting point. So let's take a look. This is what Baal Shetzer did. 
Chashev are buying the Chamesh in Nebuchadnezzar. He figured, look, Babel means when uh, Nebuchadnezzar became the uh, king of Babel. That's the beginning of the, you know, dominion of Babel. So, so when Belshazzar there was king, it had been 45 years from Babel, from Nebuchadnezzar. The Eshin Beslash to Avil Merodach, 23 from the king that followed, Avil Merodach, that gets you to 68. The Tarki Didei, and two years that since Belshazzar had been king. Hashivan, that made 70 years, and he figured, oh, they haven't been redeemed. The prophecy didn't come true. Now, I can do what I want. I don't have to be afraid of God. The prophecy didn't come true. This is Belshazzar, not Achashverosh. He took out the vessels of the base of Mikdash, and he used them. Okay, and now the and then he we're going to see, and then he got sm- sm- he was smitten dead in the middle of the night. Okay, so but that's the story of Belshazzar. Now, just to give you to, to let you know where this is going, right? You know, when we read the Megillah, we write we read right the Kelim Kelim Shonim in a different. Nigger, right? Because according to the Megrish, those are the Kalim of the Beis Hamikdash. Why were they different vessels? Because they were using at the party the Kalim of the Beis Hamikdash, which is a repeat of the sin of Belshazzar. So he did the same thing Belshazzar did, thinking, I'm not going to get trapped, I'm going to do the math right this time. So now we're first showing how Belshazzar had done this. Okay, so let's take a look. So now we're going to figure out how you got this. 45 and 23 and 2. Okay. How do you know he was 45 years king of Nebuchadnezzar? Um, the Amar Mark, because we talk, Galu B'Sheva, Galu B'Shmona. Galu B'Shmona, Asrei, Galu B'Shasrei. So in, based on different verses in Tanakh, it says that, you know, um, that, they, that they were sent into exile. We'll see which, which, which exile. There were multiple exiles, but in the process of the base of Nebuchadnezzar being destroyed, you know, or above Nebuchadnezzar taking over. So one it says it happened in the 8th year and 7th year and 1 in the 8th year and then it says in the 18th year and the 19th year so let's see what this means Galut Sheva L'Kivush Yehoyachim so Galut Yehoyachim so Yehoyachim right which is was one of the king's last kings in Yehuda. so he was brought into exile and that was in the 7th year from the exile of Yehoyachim so confusing Yehoyachim Yehoyachim anyway which occurred in the 7th year of Nebuchadnezzar so basically what you have here is here's Nebuchadnezzar so here's his year 1 in year 2 of Nebuchadnezzar you have Galut Yehoyachim okay and then in year 8 of Nebuchadnezzar you have Galut Yehoyachim okay which is so that's Galut Bishmona but it's 7 from the from the first beginning of the exile so that's when some people talk about the exile in the seventh year. There's a contradiction in Sukkot. In some states, this exile happened in the eighth year. It depends whether we're counting from year one or from year two, because year two is when the exile began. Okay, so that's seven and eight. Um, where were we? Golu b'shmonasre. Okay, shishmonu v'vedet. Golu b'shmonasre l'kivush yakim galus sidkiyahu shichasre l'nevuchanesar. And then. Here, in year 19, is when you had Galus Sidkiyahu, right? Which is, which is the real end of the whole period. And that is 19 from year one of Nebuchadnezzar, but it's 18 from the beginning of the process. So that's just reconciling the verses of the various stages. There was one exile that occurred in year 8 and one in year 19, but if you have a different counting, it's 7 and 18. And those actually correspond to the secular sources, but... Oh yeah? Okay, great. Alright, so it sounds like this. Okay. 
Um, where were we? Uh, those, because we talked, Son of Rishon Akavash means they, in the first year of his, of his, uh, you know, dominion, of his being king, he conquered Ninveh. Shni Akivish Yoyakim. In the second year, he conquered Yoyakim, and that's how come some of these countings start a year later, because it's going from the beginning of the exile. Tixi. In the 37th year from the goals of Yoyachin, Avil Merodach, the king of Babel, he took over after Nebuchadnezzar, Babylonian, so he then finally get recognized, like, you know, sort of uh, raised in status, Yoyachin, who had been taken into captivity, right, which is a long time ago, he'd been 37 years in the dungeon, essentially, by took him out of the dungeon. So here we go. Year 37, okay, is when Avil Maroda um, basically, uh, you know, takes uh, Yehoyachin out of prison, okay? So it's 37, 37 years from the time of his exile, okay? Yehoyachin's been in prison for 37 years, and Avil Maroda, the next king of Bobo, recognizes. That's a Babylonian name. That's a Babylonian name. So that's 37 years from... That's 37 years from the time that Yahyachim was in exile, which means how many years is it from the beginning of Nebuchadnezzar? 45, right? Okay, and that, so and Mark that actually, says... And that actually is consistent with when Nebuchadnezzar did reign. Okay, great. Okay, so, so Tamnaya, so you've got the 8th of <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar, the crossing the and then 37 years from the exile of Yahyachim, Haray are born the Kamesh. It was 45 years from the time Nebuchadnezzar was king. The Nebuchadnezzar. That's the 40, 45 of the Nebuchadnezzar. The Esrim Betchosa the Avil Merodach. 23 years Avil Merodach was Marduk, right? That, that, that's where we get the name Marduk, yes, right? Avil Marduk. Like Mordechai. Okay, but anyway, moving on. So 23 years Avil Merodach was king. Gemara. That's a tradition. So that gets you to 68. The Tartidi day, and Avil Merodach was followed by. Um, by uh, Balshetzer. So Balshetzer had been king for two years. That was 70 years from, from, uh, from uh, Nebuchadnezzar. The Tarti today, Hashivan, 70. Amr, Hashtavavavay, Tulomi, Friki. It's been 70 years. They haven't been redeemed. Now they're certainly not going to be redeemed. Afik Mani to Bay Mikdash. He took out the vessels of the base of Mikdash. This is Balshetzer. He stomached food and he used them. I need to come away, Daniel. So that's why Daniel says to him, To Amare Shemai, he's Romanta. You have, you know, elevated yourself over the king of heaven. Lamanaya di Beisaya and the vessels of his house. He said you you had brought in front of you. The and that night Balshetzer was killed. Kazdai, the king of the Kazdians. Um, so there that that was his end. Okay, so this whole story about what we're going to tell about Ahasuerus already happened to Balshetzer. He thought he although doesn't get executed in the middle of the night, but anyway, the ultimate downfall, and he repeated that mistake. The Daryavish Mada'a and Daryavish the Midian, the Midian, He took over from Balshetzer, um, and he was 62 years old. Okay? And then so you had Balshetzer, you had Abba Murdoch and Balshetzer, okay? That, and that was 70 years according to one counting. That's the Babylonians. And then you have the Midians, right? Which is. What's his name? Daryavesh. So what is the difference between Madai and Paras? Daryavesh 
was the, was the Persian Empire? Also, yeah, right? Chael Paratsumadai, right? So, so Persian, Median, yeah, it's but sort of there's transition, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm not enough of a of, of a historian to tell you the to exactly oh, 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 that. So yes, Daniel itself, the pshat is he took the kaleem and then died at night, or that's the chachamim? No, I think that's pshat. You have to look at this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the Gemara says, okay, um, so where were we? Uh, okay. Okay. Um, so this is the Babylonian Kazdian, Babel Kazdian, and this is Madai and Parak, starting with the Yarks. Okay. So the stuff later on is not is not consistent with what secular Okay. And now we'll just start that Amar. So Machasher said, "You need to tie." Bosetra made a mistake. I'll do the computation and won't make a mistake. It doesn't say seven years from the beginning of the kingdom of Bavel. Seven years from Bavel. So what does Bavel mean? My Bavel, Legolus Bavel, the exile of Bavel. Because remember, the Pasuk in Daniel said, Harvos Yerushalayim, the, 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 the destruction of the Jerusalem, which did not start when Nebuchadnezzar became king. So it's 70 years from the exile. So exile, he is going to assume the exile is going to mean Yehoyachim. No, Yachin. Of course, you could say the exile is Tzitkyo down here. Yeah. Okay, but he's going to say, no, it starts from the exile, which is here, which gives me that it's going to be eight more years until the 70 years are up. Okay? So, Kamna Batsirin, how many years was he, did he fall short? Tamni, eight. So then, for those extra eight years, and now it's going to take for the seventy. Chazid the Balshetzer, one year of Balshetzer, because it was his third year that this event happened. The seventy Balshetzers were up in his second year, so this is Balshetzer's third had a third year. The Chamesh did Daryavish the Koresh, and now it assumes that the entire reign of Daryavish and Koresh was five years. Okay, so that's five and one is six. Okay. Um, the Tarki today, two years of Achashverosh, is eight. Hashimin, that was eight seventy, counting from Yehoyachin. Hashimin, even the Chazi, the Mo, Shivin, Efrok, seventy years came up and they weren't redeemed. Amrahasavadai Sulo Mifriki, now they will not be redeemed. And he repeated the sin of Balsetzer. Alpikmani de Bein Mikdasha, he used the vessels of the base of Mikdash, that's the Kaleem, Mikaleem, Shonim, the Stamish Behu, and he used them. Thus, Satan came to Satan, Veriki, Beinahem, and sort of danced amongst them. Vaharik is Vashti. Right? It's interesting, right? You know, here they were in the party. What was the result of the party? The result of the party was that they started acting a little crazy, and, you know, it led to the, just, it led to Vashti being killed. So ultimately, that was his downfall, wasn't he died, but Vashti died, and that ultimately began, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the uh, allowed for Esther to get in and allowed for the porn story. Although it is funny, right? Because Belshazzar gets really punished. He gets killed. What happened by Achashverosh? Achashverosh doesn't suffer any punishment. I mean, Haman's thing got reversed. But Achashverosh, the only punishment is Vashti got killed. Okay? So it's obviously clearly of different proportions. On the other hand, yet he wasn't the nation that conquered, the, that destroyed the base on Mikdash. Okay? So anyway, we will pick up with this tomorrow and figure out how come the 70 years did not, was not, you know, why his Akash Ashvirish's math was incorrect as well? No, yeah.